young man. Uh, this young man uh, just graduated high school, class of 2021, actually hasn't technically graduated yet. Uh, he's got a, still a little bit of time left, but he's graduating this year. And uh, he is, he's a special kid. He is mature beyond his years. I'll tell you this right now. If you didn't come prepared to take notes, you messed up, all right? You still have time though, because most of our phones now have this fancy little notes app that you can take out and get ready, uh, because I promise you this, he is going to bring a message to you that is for today, that is for you, uh, that you need to receive. And I'm gonna challenge you to do this. Do not look at this young man as a teenager in a youth ministry that's lesser than you, because guess what? He is not. He is, he is, he is a, a, a young man who serves the same God and has the same spirit living on the inside of him as all of us do here. And uh, he's gonna bring a phenomenal message. And Kevin, proud of you, man. Come on up, man. Uh, let's, let's, let's show these people how we do it back in Grace Youth, man. Well, uh, uh, first of all, I just wanna say I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, I wanna thank Pastor Josh, Pastor Jesse, uh, Pastor Brooks, and for entrusting me with this pulpit. So, like Pastor uh, Josh said, uh, to introduce myself, my name is Kevin. My name is Kevin Duku. Uh, I am, yes, I am a uh, graduating senior. I'm very sad about that. But um, I'm transitioning to, um, to be a freshman at the University of uh, Texas in Arlington. So today, I wanted to preach, or I wanted to exposit on the ending of Romans chapter 8, which would be verses 31 through 39. But uh, quickly before we begin, I just wanted to open with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity. I just pray that you would help me, help me and help you to speak through me. Um, I thank you, Christ, for everything you've done. And I thank you for giving us the ability to be able to sit here and learn, learn your word comfortably, as we know some of our brothers and sisters don't have that ability. So Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us and the blessings you've bestowed upon us. It is in your name we pray, amen. So, like I said, I wanted to preach on the ending of uh, Romans chapter eight, but quickly I wanted to read uh, Romans chapter one, verse 16, which I believe is uh, a thesis for the book of Romans. So if you'd like to turn to Romans chapter one, verse 16 quickly, we can go ahead and read that. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to first the Jew and to the Greek. Like I said, I believe this is a thesis for the entire book of Romans. Uh, up until this point, and a little bit after this point, Paul had been imprisoned in Philippi in Acts 16. Uh, he was chased out of Thessalonica in Acts 17. He was stoned in Galatia in Acts 14. And, and in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, he was regarded as a fool in Corinth. Yet, he still remained eager to preach the gospel to those who were, who were in Rome, which at the time was an epicenter for pagan religion and power, um, power and pagan religion, political power and pagan religion, sorry, I can't speak. Um, the word that's translated power in the Greek when it says, uh, when it says, when I'm, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but it is the power of God. The word that is translated power is the Greek word dunamis. It's a verb. Uh, it's, where, it's actually where we get the English word dynamite. Um, and allow me to cross-reference cross really quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For it is the power, for it is, for it is the word of the cross that is folly to, the, to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power, it is the dunamis of God. 
So although the message may sound foolish to some, to those who are being saved, to those who are being justified, the source by which their salvation or their justification comes is only known by them, not to the pagan or to the, to the, uh, to the unsaved. Um, um, it reminds me of what the scripture says about how Abraham was justified. What did the scripture say about Abraham was justified? Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. But Gidzimai, right? That is the word that is translated accredited. It means an external force or knowledge that is applied to someone or something. In this context, obviously, it's referring to uh, someone's knowledge on, on, uh, of, of their salvation. And I wanted to quickly spend a little bit of time on that to say that uh, your salvation is not contingent upon you. Rather, it's contingent upon God and the spirit that lives inside of you. Uh, I feel like a lot of people know that and, and understand that, but for some reason there remains like a, a subconscious denial. And, and the reason I think that is is because of our, our culture. Um, our culture is a very re results-oriented culture. Uh, no matter the task or the means by which the task must be completed, a result must be found and it must be found quickly. And the only way it can be found quickly, according to the culture, is if you do it yourself. And I think we allow that, uh, that understanding of our culture to seep into our understanding of the salvation. However, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Our salvation, your salvation, everybody's salvation brings out the desire to, go, to do good, not out of necessity to acquire or keep our salvation, but rather it is the spirit of God inside of you that desires to further your sanctification. Amen. Uh, because it's not a matter of you holding on to God, but rather it's a matter of God holding on to you. And just in passing, I think that's, that's something that makes Christianity unique among the other religions. Uh, it's counterintuitive to anything a, a human could get caught, if you will. Uh, not only as it relates to this sermon, but in the fact that Christ was disrespected. In all other religions, the God figure or the, the, uh, the messenger, uh, whatever it may be, was, was glorified or he was praised. He was put on his pedestal, which is exactly what I would do, most people would do, if uh, tasked with creating a religion centered upon themselves. And there was this old quote I read when I first got saved. Uh, many of you may know it, but it goes, many men wanted to become God, but only one God became man. And of course, that's, again, that's very counterintuitive to anything a man could create. So with that being said, if you would go ahead and turn your Bible to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I'm going to read through it, verses 31 through 39, and then we'll go verse by verse. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who was at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very, very powerful 
a part of Scripture. So before we go verse by verse, these, these uh, verses begin with the, these verses are the beginning of Paul's closure about his teaching about the, uh, the, eternal believity, the eternal security of the believer in Christ. Like in Paul, common Paul fashion, uh, he teaches with the myriad of questions uh, he believes that the readers may have, and he answers them immediately. More particularly in these verses, uh, the qu questions are answered in such a way that they resemble almost a crescendo as they increase in difficulty and nuance. And, and, the, res and the result is almost like a Psalms-like uh, expression of, pra of praise of God's grace in bringing salvation to completion in all those who are chosen in belief, like a hymn of security. So let's go ahead and jump to verse 31. So verse 31 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So in verse 31, we see the first truth as it relates to the Christian's eternal security, that no accusation can condemn us. Uh, in verse 31, uh, I believe Paul is writing in a, a courtroom setting, if you will. Uh, he begins with, what shall we say to these things? These things, referring to the three previous verses, uh, which would be verses 28, 29, and 30. I'll go ahead and read that real quick. Verse 28, and we know that God, and we know that for those who love God, and excuse me, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn and men born among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, the ones who God called in eternity to pass are the ones who God will glorify in heaven one day. So that's where verse 31 begins. If God is for us, I, Theos, who, who per ego, which I believe is better structured in English as since God is for us, who can be against us? God being the one who justifies and sanctifies, who in the world can bring a charge against us? I don't by any means want to call it sarcastic, but it's almost as if Paul was saying to the one who is worrying, why are you worrying? It is upon God that your salvation is contingent upon. It is upon God who your salvation is to remain secure. So who can bring a charge against you? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So now Paul's point, or you could say Paul's argument for uh, the, the eternal security of the, the regenerate, uh, the regenerate of the the believer, is that why would God do less for his children than he did for those who were once his enemies? Graciously give, or freely give. In some uh, English translations, it says freely give. This means, uh, it's a compound word in the Greek. It means to bestow out of grace. Uh, Paul often uses, I, I believe it has 12 occurrences in, in Paul's writings, at least. Uh, Paul often uses this uh, to denote the forgiveness of someone. And I believe that remains true here. Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And of course, we can take this back to verse 31. Since God is for us, who can ever bring a charge or an, an accusation against us? It is God who justifies. So in what way, in regards to another human, could my justification come into question? For it is God alone who justifies, and who can successfully accuse someone that God has declared righteous? The answer is no one. Now. Notice what it says in verse 34. 
verse 34 says, who is, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Condemn, katakrina, here in the Greek it, it, means, uh, it means directly who is the one who condemns. In the Greek it's a phrase. Um, and, and better translated it would mean who among creation has the ability to condemn. And you can watch how Paul furthers it. He says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. He is at the right hand of God. In this verse, there are four reasons as to why the believer can never be found uh, uh, not, uh, guilty of not being saved that were brought up in this verse again. Number one would be Christ's death. Number two would be, would be his resurrection. Uh, number three would be his exalted position. And number four is found at the end of verse 34, who indeed is interceding for us. In the Old Testament, people would have the high, peace, high priest intercede for them. Uh, the high priest would stand before God and, and the people, and he would beg God on the people's behalf. Um, as you may know, Catholics still do this today. Uh, with the saints of old, they would ask Mary or um, other saints who have passed on uh, to plead with God on their behalf. However, this does not allow for a personal relationship with God. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is also able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, yeah. he being Jesus. There's only one intercessor between man and God, and that is Christ. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, calls Jesus the great high priest. Great being here in the Greek being used in the singular form denotes that he's the only high priest. And that's the fourth reason why no charge can be brought up against a believer, because Christ's continual uh, living. Christ lives to make intercession for us. Verse 35 and verses 35 through 39, as we close with chapter 8, uh, list experiences that a believer could go through uh, that cannot separate the believer uh, from God's loving Christ. So, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Uh, this is speaking directly not of our love for Christ, but rather Christ's love for us. And this continues the crescendo of questions, uh, that push, this continues the crescendo of answers, to, of the answer to question of the worried believer. But something I believe is probably of the most importance to reference is the fact that these right here are Paul's personal experiences. They're not something Paul came up with or thinks, but rather these are his personal experiences. As we talked about in chapter one, and as we know throughout scripture, Paul had survived attacks from these entities and emerged triumphant. So this is his own personal testimony. That the tribulations, that the distress, persecution, famine, danger, whatever you want to call it, cannot separate you from the love God has from you. So, verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Uh, this is a quote from Psalm 44, verse 32, and more specifically, it's from the Septuagint, which, if you, if you may or not know, the, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, but the Septuagint was written in Greek because of the Jewish believers in Egypt, and that region was mostly a Greek-speaking region. That being said, in the context of Psalm 44, uh, this is a lament acknowledging God's sovereign will that he allows some things to happen in order that we may be sanctified. This is further elaborated in verse 37. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. 
another compound Greek word that means to overconquer with confidence without any threat to well-being. Uh, this, remain, this makes a little bit more sense when we understand the meaning of through, as it says, we are more than conquerors of tribulation, famine, and evil in the world with confidence through him or provided by him. And as this verse ends, it says him or he who loved us is the one who helps us conquer these tribulations. And as we close, I'll close with both uh, verses 38 and 39. Verse 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 38, in angels, here referring to fallen angels or demons, powers, the same uh, Greek word dunamis, but here in the plural to refer to uh, either miracles or person in power. And, and to close, Paul uses uh, otherwise innocuous uh, astronomical terms in a very powerful way. Nor height nor depth, referring to the high points and low points of a star, in a star's path, meaning nor um, whether high or low in our parts of life, nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And to ease the mind of the warrior, he adds at the end, nor anything else in all of creation, which is everything that isn't God, which will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. So with that closing in mind, what does all that mean? It means that your salvation is not contingent upon you. Your salvation is contingent upon God who works inside of you. Nothing, and absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love that God has for us. So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer.